sacred rituals, and a cosmic community to enchant your mystical life. This podcast feels like soulful conversations by the fire and under the desert stars. As if you are hanging with your best friends, talking about purpose, the cosmos, and the divine journey we are all on. My name is Anna Alic, and this is the Topanga Moon Podcast. Podcast. This is the Tepang Moon Podcast. If you're new, so happy you're stopping by. So excited that you're stopping in for this episode in particular because it's going to be incredible. And I'm so happy and excited and can't be more thrilled for this topic and this information for all of you to hear. It's it's really, really essential. Um but yeah, how's everyone doing? I am living my snowy cabin life. <laughs> um, just really embracing winter, going on nature walks, skating outside on the lake, seeing so many animals. I mean, I don't remember the last time I saw so many animals in the winter time, but I guess it's because I've been spending so much time out Um, in the wilderness in a cabin at the moment and it's been really beautiful and rejuvenating and this true connection to the natural rhythms of the land and I'm so grateful that I get to be here right now. So today's episode, wow, and I say wow a lot (laughs) in this conversation it is profound. It is beyond amazing. I'm so truly honored to have water educator, advocate Isabel Friend on the podcast today. Her work is transformational and already making a huge impact on my life and my creative work, as I know she has for so many other people. And we get into so much today on this beautiful topic of water. We discuss the mystical, the magical, the otherworldly, the scientific, the imperative and life-giving qualities of water. Water is so important and it is our lifeblood. And that is truly seen throughout this whole interview. I was led to Isabel's work and just so amazed by her mission and water advocacy And this episode is just filled with information that will not only transform your health, but really explain how we can transform the health of our planet. And I really think that there is no cause that connects us more intricately and is more important to us in this moment than the advocacy of clean water, of drinking beautiful structured water, and allowing water to be classified and known as life because water is life. Isabel's website is filled with so much information and goodness. Just go check it out. Uh, It's waterislife.love and she has some beautiful courses out and she is even 
generously offering the Topanga Moon community a 20% discount on her course, Navigating the Waters, with the code TOPANGAMOON at checkout. And I'll leave all of this in the description below. Wow, there's just so much to get into. I can't wait for you to really fall in love with water. So let's dive into this episode and really embrace the science and mysticism that truly belong together when it comes to the mysterious and magical world of water with Isabel Friend. Welcome to the podcast. I am so excited to bring on Isabel Friend to the Topanga Moon podcast. She is a water educator and advocate working and doing the research in this field that is so important, so vital to us. Um, And really, uh, I would say you bring this beautiful balance of science and mysticism when it comes to the importance of water as our lifeblood and all the work that you do, your courses, your website, your um, articles are so incredible in teaching and educating people all over the world. So thank you. I'm so honored for you to have to be on this podcast with me. Oh, beautiful. Thank you so much. I'm really honored to be here. Thanks for inviting me on. Yes. It's going to be a beautiful conversation. I know it. Um, I would love to start from kind of the beginning and hear a little bit about your journey and how you became a water educator and an advocate. For me, I always think of, you know, we have these little breadcrumbs when we're going along in our spiritual journey and we're going along just in our life that um, are these moments of just aligning to our path and aligning to our dharma. So I would love to hear how you got into this field and what really ignited your work in this incredible and so important, you know, field of work that you're doing. Yeah, well, I think it sort of started for me back in 2009. I was living in Brooklyn at the time and I was a nutritionist and a health coach. Um, so I was really working with clients on finding what is the healthiest food that we can eat. And I was kind of obsessed mm-hmm. at the time with human optimization and just recognizing that we have, as humans, we have this untapped, nearly infinite capacity and, and just um, incredible capabilities, but we're barely scratching the surface of our, yes. of our human potential. And the time I really thought that it was through food that we could shift our, our way of being because you are what you eat, right? Um, But over time, I started to realize that because we're 70% water by volume and 99.9 plus percent water molecularly, that the water we drink is actually far more important than the food that we eat. And in fact, if our water isn't dialed in, we don't even absorb the nutrients from the food that we eat. And they can't get put to use in our body at all because water mediates every single function, um, every single process in the body. So I started looking into... um, foraging raw wild water. I was really into foraging and wild crafting raw wild foods, not necessarily raw foods, but uh, wild uh, food. And when I started drinking wild water, that was really when everything sort of shifted for me. And I ended up discovering the work of 
Victor Schauberger, who um, is just an incredible water wizard from the late 1800s. And in diving into the rabbit holes of his profound, profound work, I recognized that water really carries the solutions to all of humanity's toughest questions, whether we're talking mm-hmm. about economic or sociological or ecological um, or biological, you know, all of all of the conundrums that we've gotten ourselves mm-hmm. into water is life. And so yeah. for those areas of our lives to thrive, we need to turn to the wisdom of water. And, um, and that was really life changing for me to recognize that, but it was definitely a process. Like I said, it's been 11 years of, of studying and I started teaching about six years ago um, Actually, just to get free tickets to festivals, <laughs> um, just <laughs> teaching workshops at, at festivals, um, and then the response was amazing. People were were really loving it, and um, I, I was really loving teaching as well. Uh, but it didn't really click for me until I think two thousand eighteen. Um, 17 or 18 was my first moon dance. I went down to Teotihuacan in Mexico and really committed to that path and walking the red road. And part of my prayer during the first dance was, you know, please show me my mission, show me my path and, you know, really calling in a vision. And even though I had been obsessed with water, it was always like my geeky little hobby until, um, until that ceremony, you know, you're, you're praying and fasting and not sleeping and dancing for, for four days with these abuelas in this ancient Mexica way. And it just came through so clearly, like just focus on water and that's it. And at the time I had no idea what that would look like. I was, you know, hoping for more like career advice and I didn't <laughs> yeah, know anyone like water? Was a career water. <laughs> I had no idea how it would work, but I knew that that spirit would show up and and the way would unfold and it and it has in such a profound way. Oh, so yeah. yeah, that's kind of my journey with it. It's incredible when I find and I've heard people's stories of when they really tap into that Dharma and really the soul mission. And I love speaking about this and reading about this, connecting to that um, part of you that knows the way and knows why you came here. And for you to get that information that it had to do with water and just trusting it and going, you know, moment by moment and allowing the journey to unfold in front of you and really just trusting the universe and trusting source and the source being water in itself, which is so profound and amazing to have that connection. And I also think it's interesting. I've been dabbling in the wellness industry for a while now, but I haven't come across, at least from what my research, many people who are really talking specifically about water. And it might be because, and this is just what I'm thinking, it's like when we don't have to worry about our water source, it is just kind of there for us. It's not at the forefront of our minds when we're thinking, and just like you were talking about being a nutritionist and looking at you know, food and food being the source of our health, but we don't really think about water. So I think it's so incredible that you really made that connection. And through the work that I've seen of you and I've dove deep into your work and I'm still learning so much, it's so incredible. Um, I'm really coming to understand the magic and the mystery of water and how important it is for all of us. So could you get into some of the importance of water and 
in terms of it of structured water versus I believe you call it bulk water and how water is a living liquid crystal. Yeah, that's a really great place to start. And I think you yeah. make a, a really good point that, you know, for those of us who are living in, in water rich areas of the world, you know, largely those yeah. of us who are in the global north, water is just so sort of ubiquitous that we assume it's, it's really simple and we don't really give it much thought. We know, yes. oh yeah, I should drink eight glasses a day. Um, but I think because water is so good at subtlety and keeping her mysteries to herself Mm. that we just she seems incredibly simple and because the various phases of liquid water like you you mentioned structured water versus bulk water those are actually two completely different phases of water um and because they both look like clear liquid either way we just assume that all water is the same whether it's mineral water or alkaline water or reverse osmosis or distilled even though our bodies can tell a big difference our eyes can't and um, unless you are really attuned to the subtleties a lot of times people's palates can't necessarily distinguish between those different waters either over time of course you can develop that um those subtle distinctions in your palate. But I think that's why we kind of overlook it uh, so often. But just from a scientific perspective, you know, water is far from simple. It's Mm -hmm. far, far from this, you know, simple, common, ubiquitous object that we think that it is. In fact, there are over 63 anomalies about waterways that it behaves that science, scientists just have no way of understanding. It just defies the laws of physics and defies the way that any other substance would behave. Um, But as we start to kind of understand its odd behavior and these strange anomalies and these ways that it's unlike anything else, we're realizing that one of the reasons why its properties had eluded scientists for so long was because um, for a long time, you know, science tends to have this reductivist approach, Mm. right? Like let's let's get down to the smallest um, isolated sort of reductionist view of things. And the more we we, um, refine down, maybe the more we'll understand something. And that's that's not really how it works with life in general or especially with water. You know, if Mm. we're looking at water molecules singularly, that's like trying to study one human being and understand humanity as a whole. But like humanity, water is a community of individuals, these individual molecules that interlock and interweave together in molecular patterns and structures that give them unique social behaviors, sort of like the way humans come together in various uh, what we call cultures. You know, these mm-hmm. cultures have specific patterns, they have a specific resonance, and they have specific behaviors and water is exactly the same you know we are just scaled up versions of water after all and so the way that the molecules come together is everything and that's really the difference between bulk and structured water so when the molecules congregate in a certain way it's this fourth phase beyond solid or liquid or gas Um, sometimes it's called uh, structured water or exclusion zone water or crystalline water or biological water bio water basically any researcher that you look into is going to have a different name for it um, mm-hmm. a lot of ancient indigenous cultures referred to it as living water you can see references to living water versus dead water in uh, a lot of different scriptures from various religions but at this point 
point, it's no longer H2O, right? At this point, it's H3O2, trihydrogen dioxide. And this is really different from the bulk water that we're all accustomed to, that we've all been drinking for most of our lives, where Mm -hmm. the molecules are unstructured, they're random, they're disconnected, they can't communicate with each other, they can't transfer information, because there's all of these random hydrogen bonds forming and breaking apart billions of times per second. But if we go back to that community analogy, you know, we know that for any good relationship, there's got to be good communication, right? And the foundation of any culture is good relationships amongst the people and the families. And so for water to transmit information, to communicate, to form good relationships and strong bonds, those molecules need to stay in closer connection. Um, And there are lots of different ways for them to snuggle up and bond, you know, like covalent bonds and van der Waals bonds and um, some other hypothetical bonds that may account for some of water's strange anomalies. But basically water uses all of these different tools of connection, just like different relationships that we form, you know, romantic relationships, friendships, familial relationships. They, it uses these uh, tools to sort of create these really intricate and really unique crystalline structures. Um, I'm assuming with your, your demographic on this podcast, probably most people have seen the work of Dr. Masaru Emoto and and the various crystals that water forms. And and so the different intricate patterns of those crystals are are as a result of these different molecular bonds that form. Um, Basically, the molecules are just irresistibly attracted to each other and they they have this this constant movement. It's never static. They're always in this lovemaking dance and Mm. forming these um, artistic sacred geometries. And when it's in this crystalline structure, it transforms from a random dead liquid into a sentient and sensitive being. Mm. Sentient and sensitive. Because water is dipolar, right? Meaning it's, um, it has two poles. It has a positive and a negative side. It has masculine and feminine atoms. And it's only because the, the feminine hydrogen and the masculine oxygen are so attracted to one another only because they love each other so much. They form this sacred union that all of life is possible. So um, really the difference between bulk liquid and crystal water is um, it behaves with this principle called quantum coherence Mm -hmm. and quantum coherence. Quantum means faster than the speed of light, means instantaneous. And coherence means um, it can act all together as one unit. So like, for example, if you have uh, a thousand threads, they're all random, but if you weave them together in a certain way, then the fabric acts with coherence, with um, cohesively as one unit. So uh, structured crystalline water behaves with quantum coherence, which allows it to communicate over really vast distances instantaneously, right? Faster than the speed of light, um, like your body, right? You are all these cells and organs and nerve fibers, um, but your body is coherent in that it feels all like one unit, one single body, right? So when your water is structured, it's able to act as one cohesive body as well. And all of the water in your body, one of the reasons why we call this, uh, why we call crystalline water, we sometimes call it bio water, biological water, is because all the water in your body and the body of every living being is structured to some degree. In fact, um, it's, it's this coherent crystalline phase that bestows life, that allows life. Bulk water cannot transmit the signals of mm-hmm. life. Crystal, only crystalline water can. Um, so this is how your body so 
intelligently knows how to fold proteins and how to read DNA and how to replicate cells and digest food and deliver nerve signals and just all the innumerable imperceptible little miracles that it performs every nanosecond. It's able to do all of this because the water that it's comprised of is literally an intelligent entity. It's Mm. in a formation. And so it stores information. Like you are literally a living liquid crystal. And I think it's important to maybe um, just distinguish real quick what, like exactly what a crystal is, because, you know, especially in the new age communities, there's, we have a lot of assumptions about crystals. but basically a crystal is just anything whose molecular arrangement is in an organized and repeating pattern. So you can think of carbon, for example, like when carbon is unstructured, like bulk water is unstructured, it forms coal. And when it's slightly more structured, it forms graphite, but it's still just carbon. And when it's highly organized, like crystalline fourth phase water is highly organized, then it becomes a diamond right now it's still just carbon just pure carbon in all of these forms the only difference is the molecular arrangement and we are made of the water equivalent of diamonds but our whole healthcare system and our whole primitive understanding of hydration really treats the human body like it's made of the water equivalent of coal Mm -hmm. and it's really a shame because i think it's this this distinction that opens up this whole world of hydrobiophysics and really opens up um new patterns of of health and wellness um and i think maybe the easiest way to conceptualize of this difference is um again through the terminology that countless indigenous tribes and ancient spiritual traditions use and they call it the difference between living water and dead water Mm. and um it's just so beautiful that these ancient insights about water as the body of life, as the body of consciousness are now being echoed in laboratories because sadly the Western mind needs that affirmation. Um, You know, we've all heard that water is life and it's very true, but only living water is life because dead water actually dehydrates and your hydration is directly proportional to your life force. Yeah. And so many people don't know that distinction and this feels like it's a miraculous secret or something. Like we have, we have this beautiful resource that could heal ourselves and heal the planet all at the same time. Yet there's so many people that don't know the distinction, the type of water that they're um, taking in and so many other things that we're going to get into. And I just love the comparison that you've made of it being a community. Because if you think of a community, that's where your health thrives when you're in commune with other people. When you're isolated Mm -hmm. from the community, that's where, you know, disease and sickness can really run rampant. And we see this so much. And I think that we're seeing this on a global scale. So that comparison is so beautiful. And it's just so, you know, incredible to me to think of just something as simple as we think of as water being so, so much more than it is and so miraculous in so many ways and truly um, what makes up life and what can give us so much life. So I love 
that you've described all of this in this way. And it just kind of blew my mind when I was reading all of this, because it's something that once again, a remembrance, because I think we know this in our bodies, but when we're hearing it, and especially in the time that we're in, it it really feels like we're in this place of going back to how is nature, nature is created beautifully and perfectly and going back to those natural systems is really the way to be. So it's amazing. Um, so when we do talk about hydration, what does it really mean to be truly hydrated? And I know for you, it's not about, you know, drinking X amount of glasses of water a day. I mean, how can we optimize our bodies? Cause that's a second component to being truly hydrated. And on top of that, what are the best water resources? I know you have some beautiful resources on your website. Um, and what's the best water that we could be drinking for ourselves right now? Beautiful. Um, okay. I feel like that's a, that's like four questions. I want to try yeah, I know, to I'm concisely. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, that's no, 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 it's good. It's good. They all weave together. They all, it's perfect. So I think, yeah, to start with hydration, like I think, um, most of us sort of think of hydration as being how much water we drink. Right. Mm-hmm. But drinking yeah. water is just irrigation and we can mm-hmm. irrigate all day long, but if our body doesn't absorb that water and convert it into crystalline bio water, then that's not actually hydrating us. So hydration is actually a matter of how much we absorb. And that's dependent on just a whole range of lifestyle factors um, and uh, you know psychosomatic psychological factors that mm-hmm. actually have very little to do with drinking water and have a lot more to do with electrical conductivity so this is something we go over a lot in, in my new e-course that's coming up you know we go really in depth over all of the reasons why you can actually substitute the word hydration with the word electrical conductivity because oh, wow. okay. you know we're we're way more so electromagnetic beings than we are biochemical beings mm. and all of the energetic impulses that keep us vibrant and keep us alive they're all conducted by this crystalline water in our bodies. So when water is uh, coherent, you know, and it has that quantum coherence property, it conducts all of the signals of life really beautifully. But when water is incoherent, if it's lost its structure over time because of aging and inflammation and toxicity and stagnation and EMF exposure, you know, um, and also, you know, diet, of course, plays a big role too. I would say those are the, the five biggest factors that actually dehydrate people. It's not because you're not drinking enough water. It's probably because of yeah, inflammation, toxicity, stagnation, mm-hmm. um, diet, EMF exposure, then our bodies can't conduct electrical signals. And that's, again, that's the spark of life in our bodies. So we really have to start taking hydration more seriously because, you know, as I said before, of course, we're 70 water volumetrically actually when you're first born you're about 90 percent water but then wow. by the time you're elderly you're about 50 percent water so and the structure of that it's not just that there's less water by the time we're elderly it's also the structure of that water significantly degrades over time so when you're first born you're 90 percent water volumetrically and 100 percent of that water is highly highly structured Um, but then that just really decreases over time. So there are several factors, um, that play into this. And there are just so many doctors and researchers who have come out saying that aging really is just a process of drying out and every age related phenomenon from wrinkles to edema, to lethargy, to stiffness, all of this to, you know, mental decline, all of it is directly related back to this gradual drying and this gradual destructuring. 
So, you know, again, that's, that's all volumetrically. Volumetrically, adults are around 70%. But molecularly, again, we're over 99.9% water molecules. I've heard 99.92, 99.95. This, these numbers you can't exactly specifically quantify, um, but it's the vast majority. For every thousand molecules in your body, 999 of them are water. So hydration is really a matter of, of again, how much water is in your body, which I think is what we all assume, but more so it's about the state or the phase of the water because if you're full of water but it's unstructured, then you're mm. actually still not hydrated because the body can't use that water. It can't get it into the cells. And again, you know, your hydration is directly correlated with your life force because your water is the way that your body conducts prana or mana or chi mm. or energy, electrical signals, magnetic signals. You know, our electrical signals are our, our thoughts and our magnetic signals are our emotions. And so when your body water is incoherent, even your thoughts and emotions become incoherent. Mm, so it's so the true. superconductor of chi. You know, there's a biophysicist, Dr. Maywan Ho, who says that. Uh, structured water fits every definition of a superconductor, every definition in physics of a superconductor of chi. And, and it's what enables us to be powerful healers or powerful manifestors. It's really mm -hmm. the key to the power of manifestation. It's the key to the mind-body-spirit connection. You know, even Dr. Zach Bush, who, whose work I just love, he said, oh, I love his you know, work. He's, oh, he's amazing, <laughs> so right? Good. He said, you you cannot have a spiritual experience without water. You can't have spiritual awareness of your identity if you're dehydrated. And to some extent, we are all in this modern world, we're all dehydrated. Nearly 100% of the population suffers from what they call UCD, unintentional chronic dehydration. So we're all mm -hmm. striving for this uh, spiritual awareness of our true self and our, and our true identity of, of oneness, but you really can't fully tap into that if the liquid source of life and is, is, not, um, is not optimized within mm -hmm. you. So water is really what ties the human to the heavenly. You know, it's the intermediary between the manifest and the unmanifest. And mm. it does this largely by virtue of being a dipolar molecule. So again, when it's in a formation, it's a conductor and transducer of electromagnetism, not to mention, of course, being the only way that your body conducts hormones and nutrients and all of these physical components mm -hmm. as well. That one's obvious. You know, there's not a single thing your body does that doesn't involve water. Like, um, you know, your cells only function because they fold proteins, right? Well, every single protein is surrounded by 10,000 water molecules. And it's actually the shifting of phases between bulk and structured water that allows proteins to relax or then gives them this backbone that makes them stand up straight again. So all protein folding only happens because it's surrounded by 10,000 water molecules. And yet wow. the Western allopathic model, you know, if, if proteins are misfiring or misfunctioning, they're going to look at the protein itself. Even if you look in a medical textbook, you'll see drawings of the protein itself. You're not going to see drawings of the 10,000 water molecules surrounding it, even though its whole function is mediated by that water, you know, or, or uh, so your nervous true. system. Even studying so science as I did in the past, we never learned about this. We just yeah. looked at the protein as you were saying. Absolutely. And that's true even of, of doctors, sadly, yep. physicians, like yeah. scientists, you know, everyone we're, we're focusing on the, on the, one molecule out of a thousand instead of the 999 that are water 
And this is really the power of true hydration. This is the power mm-hmm. of true intracellular hydration to get back to your question. Yeah. Like, you know, there's, there have been physicians and clinicians who have implemented really broad scope hydration protocols with their patients. And I mean like deep hydration, like, you know, diet, lifestyle, um, all of these factors that affect hydration. And of course, the quality and the quantity of water you drink as well. And they see just absolutely incredible, just miraculous results with such a wide variety of ailments that it's mind-blowing. You know, water is the single unifying thread across all bodies, across all types of medicine, across all states of health and disease. You know, if you look at the, the intracellular fluid of someone who has cancer and the intracellular fluid of someone who has AIDS, you know, even though technically those are different diagnoses, cytoplasm, the intracellular fluid, is degraded in just about the same way for nearly every disease state. So some of the healings that happen when people get hydrated, like super hydrated with a really high phase angle around 10 or 12, there's nothing like it. It's nothing short of miraculous, you know? Um, And a phase angle is basically a measure of your intracellular hydration. And again, it's, it's because of this electrical conductivity. So phase angle tests, they basically pass, um, an electrical current that measures how well your cell membranes can mediate electrical charge. And because your body functions on hydroelectric energy, it's the osmotic flow of water in and out of cells and then the structure of the water within cells that gives cells their um, electrical charge. So phase angle basically just tests how electrically conductive it is and that tells you how hydrated you are. Mm. And a phase angle of 10 or 12 is like perfect hydration, basically. Most people in the general populace have a phase angle of around like seven-ish. And then if you start looking at chronically ill people, like if you have cancer, for example, you have a phase angle of about 4.5 or below, which just shows like from a hydration standpoint, you're so dry that you're nearly dead. Mm -hmm. Water is life. And when we dry out, it manifests as various disease states, dependent, of course, on our, um, you know, epigenetic factors and genetic factors and, and, you know, things that are passed down through our lineage, how that dehydration will manifest as various states of disease. But we can trace everything back to the state of our body waters. And I'm sorry if it's getting a bit um, long-winded of a no, I love it. I think it's related to your question of like the primacy of hydration because, you know, we see the same thing mirrored in our beautiful planet, right? As above, mm, so, so below. True. So of course there's this epidemic of dehydration, but that's concurrent with this massive worldwide drought and desertification. So, mm-hmm. you know, of course the planet is going to be warming while all of our dehydrated bodies are experiencing more inflammation than ever before in history. Like inflammation literally comes from the Latin to set on fire, to inflame. So without the cooling and quenching effects of hydration, both our bodies and the earth are inflamed, right? As within, wow. so without. So our inner hydrology always mirrors our outer hydrology. The whole universe versus holographic and the the means and the matrix and the method of this holographic mirroring is through water itself. Mm. Yeah, it's so incredible to see how what is happening on a micro level is happening on a macro level. And you even talk about this when it comes to the idea of transference and how like a uh, amount of structured water being put into a larger source of water can really affect all of the water that's in that larger um, body of water. And it's that idea of what we're doing and how we can truly hydrate 
our own selves within our own bodies and how that can be transferred into just the macro scope of our planet, which is so incredible to see that balance and that connection that we truly do have with the earth. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, So to go on with this topic, uh, I would love to dive in a little bit more into this idea of manifestation and how manifestation can really be um, facilitated through the optimizing of water because of just like you were just discussing, we really are energetic vibrational beings. So when we have um, the most optimized hydrated water, I do believe that we can be primed for manifestation. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah, completely. Water is the locus of manifestation. It's the the key to the, the whole biology of belief and the mind body spirit connection and and all of that you know they say um what we do to our water we do to ourselves Mm -hmm. one of my um, indigenous water teachers said that and it just stuck with me so deeply because i see it mirrored on every level you know when you're when your bio water is coherent it it channels and focuses, again, the magnetic power of your emotions and the electrical power of your thoughts into more concentrated geometries, like literal little sacred geometries of, of fractal and structure. And of wow. course, we know that divinity expresses itself through sacred geometry, right? So when your body water resonates with coherence, it's the difference between like shining a laser beam of intention versus just a diffused light bulb of intention. So with lasers, you know, the photons are all streaming coherently in the same direction. That's why they're able to penetrate so far. So it's going to reach like much, much farther, you know, a really powerful laser beam can reach all the way out into outer space because the light is so coherent. And it's the same with you, you know, your intention will just reach farther into the ethers because water's relationship with the quantum field is like a mirroring of, of body and soul. You have a body and you have a soul. Water is the body of the quantum field. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think by now, again, everyone is familiar with the crystallography images of Dr. Emoto and I'm not going to go into right now, like some of the, some of the issues with his work, we could talk about that, but, um, I, I do think it it gives you a good idea to kind of conceptualize of how beautiful thoughts and emotions can create more order and structure mm-hmm. in water crystals and within us. And again, like, I don't know, I don't want to overstate this phenomenon because I think a lot of people do really overestimate its effects, like just putting love on your water bottle is going to make some effect, but it's not yeah. going to make that much effect. Um, you know, prayer, prayer does make a huge difference, both to your drinking water and your body water. But, you know, there's a reason why Buddhist monks spend literally decades chanting the same mantras, because that's how long it takes to really pattern your body water to be tuned to a very, very specific frequency, a very specific channel, because water is the most sensitive thing in the world. So it's constantly shifting phases. You know, you can chant love over your water bottle for five minutes, but 15 minutes later, if you're in a bad mood, the water's going to mm. pick that up and change its phase again. Like it's constantly shifting. It's, it's always in motion, but we can tune our body waters to a very specific fractal array of memory clusters with honed, consistent intention over time. And I, f- 
I feel like um, it's that's kind of straying into the area of woo a little bit. So I, I want to just explain how that works more okay. in depth because <laughs> yeah. every cluster of water molecules functions as a memory cell, okay. and each cluster is going to differ in size and in intricacy. And you know they might have hundreds or even thousands of molecules, but most commonly they're in collections of like three to sixty molecules in varying patterns and. Each cluster, like I said, is a memory cell because it has, and I get this, at least a minimum, each memory cell has at least 440,000 distinct panels oh my on it. That's like incredible. each cluster of water molecules. And that's just, I mean, that number 440,000 comes from like the smallest unit that we can actually measure using like the most high powered electron microscopes. Um, but if we had more um, advanced equipment, you know, water is fractal. So it, if you could measure a layer deeper than that, you would see another layer of, of fractal panels. Like it, it's just, you know, in my opinion, because of its fractal nature, it's just infinite how many distinct panels it has. Um, wow. But at least 440,000 is what we've measured for sure. And each of these panels, it's like uh, the panel of, of an antenna or of a satellite. It can sense and store and amplify and transduce and transmit information, energy, vibration, and light. And, you know, just like these crystalline water clusters, you know, they're like little, little, little molecular, little molecular icebergs <laughs> of, of liquid crystals floating around in bulk liquids. So, um, you know, if you put the word love on your water bottle, you might have a few more icebergs floating in the bulk liquid, like a few mm -hmm. more little molecular God, say little molecular. Little molecular. Um, <laughs> little molecular. <laughs> um, yeah, you might have more of these molecular cl clusters floating around in the water, but it's not like all of the water is automatically going to become crystalline, right? right? So it's just a matter of how many of these iceberg clusters and how big they are and how well formed they are that are floating in the bulk liquid. And, and of course, they become more dense and more sort of glacial as the water becomes more organized into its fourth phase. Mm -hmm. um, when that takes more energy input than just the word love. You know, right. it's really energy. It's ambient energy, radiant energy that does structure water. So um, that's why mantras have such effects. That's why intentions have such effects, but it takes that energy that you pour into the mantra, the energy that you pour into the intention that, that gives it this coherence in the water. So the frequencies that the water can conduct become more connected or more dispersed based on its phase. And if it's in phase, then those frequencies become more in phase with each other. They become more coherent. So um, you know, like when light is shown through a prism, right, it becomes more ordered into the spectrum of color. Mm -hmm. And so when vibration is transmitted through the crystalline phase of water, it becomes more ordered. Now, here's the part that's really amazing. Like, okay, so you have these little clusters of memory cells, right? They're like yeah. these little crystals, right? So what do we use in watches and computers? We use quartz crystals, right? Because yeah. they can, again, like sense, store, amplify, transduce, and transmit um, these different energies. Well, if you consider the way that a computer memory works compared to crystalline water, the two are super similar, but computer memory is, um, is basically like quartz crystal 
silicone molecules that are arrayed in three dimensions and each atom is only capable of two configurations. That's why um, uh, computers are binary, right? They have ones and zeros, like a, mm -hmm. these configurations of each atom is either capable of a one or a zero, an on or an off. And because of that, like computers can store a lot of information. But if you think of the crystalline form of water, the oxygen and hydrogen are organized, again, in these three-dimensional honeycomb sheets that are super flexible. And the oxygens, like the hydrogens are bouncing around, but the oxygens are, are pretty stable in the matrix. They're, they're arrayed at these fixed points. And um, do you think they have two states like silicon does? They actually have <laughs> six. They have six states. It's incredible. So wow. they're, they're called valence or oxidation states. So ox, oxygen has like negative two and negative one and zero and, and plus one and two. So there's, so there's six different states. And just returning to the computer analogy, like if you had six states of silicon rather than two, it would be an increase in information density that is like something it's staggering it's something close to like a billion times oh the information God. density computer in every single molecule of water wow so water molecules are like a billion times more intelligent than the world's most advanced nano computer ever and this is how water is the mother and the matrix of this whole holographic simulation of reality this is yeah. how Life like exists on every phase. <laughs> infinite intelligence, yeah. infinite memory. Water remembers everything in all of history, in all dimensions. Like water, because it is the body of the quantum field, and the quantum field is itself timeless and spaceless. Yeah. Water has access to all information throughout all of space and all of time. Like Dr. Rustin Roy calls it the world's single most malleable computer. And like your body is made of this. It's incredible. It, it's like, it's blowing, so right? magical and this on is, so I think, many levels. <laughs> oh yeah. It's pure magic. There's a, one of yeah. my favorite quotes about water of all time is if there's magic on this planet, it's contained in water. Uh, and I, it's just so true. Like even after 11 years, I still learn new things about water every single day. And it still continues to blow my mind every yeah. single day. And, and I think it's so important because it's, it's not just esoteric theory. It's not just like scientific um, you know, intellectual gymnastics. It's like we only experience the world as a reflection of our own inner waters. So the state of our waters determines the state of our consciousness. What could be more important than that? Like if wow. there's chaos at a molecular level, there's going to be chaos in our hearts and minds. If there's chaos, we're literally incapable of coherence in our hearts and minds if our waters are incoherent. So I think that's really what spiritual awakening is, you know, it's... Mm -hmm. Tuning to the higher frequencies vibration in a consistent and coherent way. Like even if you look at the term enlightenment, it's about opening up to receive and to integrate more light. And we do this through our body water that conducts the light. Like it's literally water conducting light that's transmitted by our DNA. That is what communicates your cells for them to act. Like one of my favorite physicists, I think I mentioned her before, Dr. Mei Wan Ho, um, mm -hmm. she did some amazing work on the mm -hmm. relationship between water and light. And um, this is where it gets really interesting. <laughs> Just here is where it gets really interesting. Yeah. I was um, like, there's a lot already. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm sorry. I feel like I'm going on a tangent. No, I'm obsessed with it. I've already watched your, um, one of your courses, like two times in one night and I still (laughs) am finding new information and I'm just like, how is there more? (laughs) So I'm loving it. Oh, beautiful. (laughs) I'm so glad to hear that. And I don't even get to get into some of this like more esoteric, fun, spiritual stuff in my courses yet. I'm going to do courses on that in the future. Like right now, it's all just like really practical stuff. And this is kind of practical, but I figured it was stuff that that your audience would be more interested in than just like drink eight glasses kind of thing. Um, Like it's molecules. We, we talk about waters, just, you know, hydrogen and oxygen, but um, because those ions have electric charges because they form dipoles and because it's never inert like even if water looks like it's still its ions are always dynamic they're always rotating and vibrating and because its clusters emit these frequencies the coherence of those frequencies shift so much depending on their their size and their structures like different structures of water clusters different electromagnetic frequencies produced. So water can resonate at pretty much any frequency, but to do that, again, it has to absorb these ambient electromagnetic radiation and then re-emit that radiation. To re-emit that radiation is it's literally radiating light. So sunlight, starlight, moonlight, they actually activate oxygen's outer electrons to these higher energy levels. I mean, really all light does to some extent. Near infrared light does so really well. Sadly, electromagnetic frequencies do so as well, and they fuck with water really badly. Um, but just right. speaking on, on like a healing level here, like sunlight, starlight, and moonlight, again, activate um, the outer electrons of, of the oxygen. So then within, get this, within like a picosecond, literally, um, I think a picosecond is what? a millionth of a second. <laughs> Uh, I think, (laughs) or a billionth, I I think a picosecond is a millionth of a second, but within a picosecond, um, the, so it's, it's activated by this light, right? And then within a picosecond, it returns again to, to, it returns the charge to ground level. So this is just this epically, quantumly instantaneous process. And when it returns to that ground level, it emits all of those photons that it received. Now get this. This part is crazy. Okay. So it emits those photons with a frequency, and I'm not exaggerating. It sounds like I'm making up this number, but it's a real number. It emits those photons with a frequency of one quadrillion hertz. What? One quadrillion hertz. So just to put that in perspective, like the highest things that have ever been tested on a Rife machine to see like how many hertz they vibrate is, I think rose is one of the highest, freq- uh, highest frequency vibrating thing. Gold is another super high frequency vibrating things. And I think those are around 500 hertz, I want to say. I might be getting that wrong. Something, something in me wants to say it's like 350 hertz, but it might be around 500 hertz. But anyway, water emits these photons at one quadrillion hertz. And that's when it's taking in the sunlight or the moonlight or the starlight. Well, it's constantly in this constantly. process. Yeah. It's constantly in the process of, of absorbing signals and then re-emitting those signals, right? So and like sunlight, starlight, moonlight frequency. are just examples. It's such a high frequency and so instantaneously. Wow. So this is why Victor Schauberger said that there's more energy in every drop of water than in any power station on the planet. Wow. You know, this and is why water... Love it. Because I wanted to get into yeah. Victor next. 
So oh, good. I'm happy that you're talking about them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, water is a source of free energy, 100%. It's not only a possible source of free energy that we can tap into our our technologies, but it is already the source of free energy that nature uses because water is this repository of pure energy. Like, yeah, it just, it constantly blows my mind. Um, And and actually, so it's hypothesized um, that water is, I forget the exact number, but basically, I think it's, it's like something close to, it's okay, 900 and something billion, 900 and something million (laughs) photons to every one part matter. So the one part matter is the hydrogen and oxygen, right? Wow. And then 900 and something billion. So basically a trillion. So there's almost a thousand times a billion parts photon for every one part matter. So there's like 1 trillion parts light for every one part hydrogen and oxygen. So when the masters say, when the religious masters, the spiritual masters say you are light, what what they mean without realizing it is they're talking about the fact that you're 99.95-ish percent water molecules and each one of those molecules is only one trillionth matter and the rest, pure light, pure photons. Wow. Right? A photon is, is a, a boson and bosons are basically the glue to hold all matter together. They're the way that the quantum field manifests yeah. into, the, into physicality, right? So, you know, of course, from here, there's like a million rabbit holes that we could go down. Like, oh, yeah. Water yeah, is the basis different of dimensions and all oh, of yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Going more so into Victor Schauberger's work. Mm-hmm. So he was discovering all of this. I would love for you to just describe some of the principles and some of the inspiration that you got from his work, because I know I've started to dive into his work now and it's blowing my mind <laughs> again. So I'd love to just speak a little bit on it. And then I, I want to um, get into some other really important topics as well. Awesome. Um, yeah. Schauberger's epic, like even well over a hundred years ago, you know, he knew more about water than any modern hydrologist knows today. And, and what's interesting, you know, because water is always reflecting us back to ourselves and how we treat water is our ultimate destiny. You know, he saw the direction that humanity was headed even way back then. And he wrote really explicit warnings detailing exactly where we would end up if we didn't change our relationship to water. And it's exactly where we found ourselves. We didn't change our relationship to water. So now we have massive worldwide drought and climate change and just general global madness and ignorance and mayhem. And, you know, if you recognize that water is the blood of the earth and the physical body of consciousness itself, then you see that what we do to water is what we do to ourselves on a micro mm-hmm. and a macro scale, you know? Um, so just, you know, from, from the cell bodies of water to human bodies of water to bioregion bodies of water, it's all one body of water. It's all coherent. Water itself isn't conscious of being, you know, a lake and a river and your body. It's all mm-hmm. one body of water, just like you're not conscious of being a brain cell over here and a spleen over here and a foot over here. No, you're a coherent organism and water is a coherent organism. And so what we do to one body of water, we do to all bodies of water. And this is largely why we've caused such massive climate change and Schauberger predicted it. So 
I, you know, I think it's really important to recognize the role that water plays in climate change because mm-hmm. as long as we're focusing on the carbon, we're just going to be chasing our own tails, right? It's like yeah. a chicken and the egg scenario, like which came first, the carbon or the drought? And we've been assuming that carbon came first, but carbon only becomes a problem when there isn't enough water to mediate solar energy, when water tables have been lowered and lands have been dehydrated. And the truth is that throwing the hydrological cycles out of whack around the world is what has caused climate change, mm-hmm. um, the climate to change, like far more quickly than carbon emissions alone have, because healthy, hydrated ecosystems actually pull carbon from the air. It's called right. soil sequestration. But with the when the land is thirsty, when it heats up, it lets the temperatures rise, and then it lets all these gases out into the atmosphere. And when when you have anything that's too hot, you know the first thing you do is you put water on it. Of course, now carbon mediates less than 5% of the total energy in the atmosphere. The other 95% of the energy in the atmosphere is governed by the earth's hydrology. Wow. Like just take plants, like plants sweat, right? It's called transpiration. For every gram of water that a plant sweats, it reduces atmospheric heat by 600 calories. So just like for your body to be healthy, you need to have well-hydrated blood and lymph and cerebral spinal fluid and amniotic fluid and synovial fluid and all of that. Your body is more than 70% water. The earth's body is more than 70% water. So just like water needs to be the first thing that we look at with our own health, water needs to be the first thing that we look at when the earth falls ill as well, because CO2 is not going to kill us, right? Mm -hmm. It's the effect that CO2 has on water that's dangerous, like rising sea levels and floods and hurricanes. It's water that gives life and water that takes life away and and depletion of hydrology that's caused the CO2 imbalance. And what's crazy to me is like the bottled water industry alone makes about $100 billion annually, but it would only take about $15 billion to solve the world water crisis. And if we solve the water crisis, de facto, we solve the climate crisis, like period. That's but water has just been ignored in the climate debate. Yeah. Like just like or, the primary role of hydration has been ignored in Western medicine. So we really have to flip the script. And that's why I think Schauberger's work was massively foreshadowing. Yeah. It was, he was tapping into something that was this foreshadowing. And I love how you're talking about how we're really looking at the wrong part of the problem, right? When it comes mm-hmm. to climate change um, and everything that's going on in a global scale. And this leads us into what is the global water cartel, which is, that's the first time I've ever heard of it when I heard it through your work. And it's something that, um, definitely feels like a small percentage of the world that owns the the water sources kind of know all of this is that is that kind of how it shaped mm-hmm. and i would love to discuss more about why it's so important to know about these things and to really um just change our narrative and our understanding of all these things like climate change droughts and desertification yes i am so so glad you answered that you asked this question because I I think this is maybe the most important conversation we can be having mm-hmm. about water. Um, it's so important for each one of us to get really, really actively involved with water activism and water guardianship. If we value life, this is where our energy needs to be going because, okay, where to start? Um, 
I know. <laughs> okay, so I think <laughs> it's a, such a big topic. We could do a whole podcast. Just we could do a whole podcast. Um, and it is I, so important. So I wanted to really touch upon this in this episode. Yeah, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. So I think a good place to start would just be to kind of set the stage for people. Because um, like you said, in the very beginning of the episode, you know, in, in the Western world and in our privileged lifestyles, we tend to kind of live disconnected from the awareness mm-hmm. of like, yeah. what, are, what is the state of water? Um, you know, especially in the first world, we don't recognize that there is currently a global water apartheid between the global north and the global south. It's very real. You know, right now, one in every three human beings on the planet, one out of three has no clean drinking water. Mm-hmm. And by 2050, that's in only 20, er, uh, 29 years, um, it's estimated to be one in two people, wow. half the population without clean drinking water. And according to the WHO, 80% of disease worldwide is caused by unclean drinking water. Now, hopefully by now, like after everything, you can kind of see that like even the other 20% is also caused by the state of our internal waters. Um, Mm -hmm. But just on a gross level, 80% of disease from unclean drinking water and every eight seconds, a child dies from drinking dirty water. Like since we started this podcast, I don't know what, like hundreds, hundreds of children have died from dirty drinking water. And in the third world, literally 90% of their sewage just goes straight into local streams and rivers and coastal waters. In China, 80% of the rivers are so degraded that there's no fish in them even more or anymore. Like 80%. It's dismal. It's dismal. Not to mention, so that's just the pollution aspect. But when we're talking about the desertification aspect, every year, a new desert the size of Rhode Island is created in China. And drought-related sandstorms are like plaguing Asia. You know, California and Arizona have already run out of water. They import all the water that they need. New Mexico is going to run out of water in about four years. Like Mm -hmm. all over the world, this kind of shit is happening. The planet is so dehydrated, just like we are. You know, drought and desertification are just taking over. They are literally killing and inflaming our Mother Earth. And so we have to ask ourselves, why? How did it get to this point? How? Because this wasn't the case you know, 100, 200 years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's really, and, and even 40 years ago, you know, we've just seen a massive skyrocketing exponential increase since water started being privatized because, you know, it's really despicable. But the simplest answer to why water is in this state right now is because of supply and demand. It's because of capitalism, because in a capitalist paradigm, you know, if the source of life has been privatized as a source of profit, then the more scarce it becomes, the more wealthy its owners become. The more scarce life becomes, you know, the more scarce water becomes. Like it's, it's unlike oil. It's unlike anything else because it is the source of life. So if yeah. you control the source of life, you control the lives of all of those who need it every single day. It's the most powerful substance on earth. And the global water cartels recognize that water is power. In fact, even in uh, Chinese, the symbol for the word water is the same as the symbol for control. And water is literally being used as a proactive weapon of war in many places in the world, especially in the Middle East. Um, and so and even all over the global South, like poor countries have to export huge amounts of virtual water. Virtual water is, um, is the water that goes into like 
making something, but so they're not exporting necessarily their actual water, although that does happen a lot as well with um, diversions and rerouting and, and dams and all that kind of thing. Um, but it's, it's mostly the virtual water. So like, for example, um, one almond takes, I forget, I think something like 20 gallons of water for a single almond. So if you wow. export that almond, you know, that water, you're basically exporting 20 gallons worth of water away from that watershed. Right. So these, these poor countries, they so desperately need the money because they've been forced, you know, usually blackmailed by economic hitmen in the World Bank and the IMF to pay off all of their debts through these monoculture crop exports, even if it means using all of their remaining water to do so, even if it means their own citizens have no water because they have to export this virtual water. Oh, you know, the so World Bank is a, yeah. So crazy. A murderous bully. Yeah. It's crazy. And it's because of consumer demands in first world countries mm. like the U.S. because we can't live within our watersheds. We've decided yeah. we have to suck everywhere else dry instead. And that's why really watershed discipleship and living within the limits of our watershed is the most important step that we can begin taking mm -hmm. because otherwise we just give unintentionally give all of this power away. You know, every time you buy a t-shirt made in China, you're buying a part of the Yangtze River. Every time you buy, you know, coffee from Colombia, you're buying a part of the Colombian river basins and you're doing so via the mediators wow. of this water cartel. They're the middlemen here. Suez, Veolia, Bechtel, RWE Thames, and all of their subsidiary companies, they've basically bought off all of the water in the world and they literally write this is how fucked up it is like these private companies for-profit companies basically write the water policies at the un and the world bank and the imf like they get whatever they that want when it comes to so fussy <laughs> like that's it's the so only word to describe it it really is and and because of that you know the only people who have a right to water, the only people on earth who have a right to live are the people who can afford to right. pay for water. That's where we're at with this. And that is you know, our life, water being our life, and we are water. We're basically paying for our life. We are. We are. And we're paying for it by stealing it from the lives of other people on the other side of the world. They're dying. Yeah. Eight, you know, one child every eight seconds, they're dying because the water in their watershed, their life source mm -hmm. is being exploited and privatized and outsourced. Wow. For us, and largely. I mean, for those of us in the global north. And it feels like the most important thing that we should be working towards and knowing. And it's so yes. not discussed and so unknown. Totally. Well, it has to be, right? For the, the current paradigm to sustain yeah. itself, for capitalism to sustain itself, for the patriarchy to sustain itself, for um, you know energy companies like dirty coal yeah. and oil and nuclear and even solar and all of this crap that you know even solar might, might be slightly more sustainable. You can debate that, but it's certainly not renewable. It's certainly not free energy. Like yeah. if you tap into the truth of water, that's why this information has been so suppressed because it would radically shift absolutely everything. It is a source of free energy and it is a renewable 
resource. You know, the hydro current hydrologists are taught that the amount of water that's here on the planet now is the same amount that's always been here. It's the same amount that will always be here. And that's a very limited understanding that keeps us in this state of scarcity. But Victor Schauberger discovered the means by which, like any living being, water can reproduce itself. Wow. And so, you know, there, there's a, a very real reason why we all grow up thinking that water is just some inanimate liquid that just yeah. pours out of the tap and that's it. If you look back at, you know, throughout history, water wisdom keepers have been censored and persecuted. And you'll see like the first editions of books where they discuss some of their water findings. And then later editions of those books, those findings have been omitted. Wow. And this is because this is the most revolutionary thing that we can understand on the planet. Totally. Totally. And I, I, you know, while we're still, while we're on the topic of the, um, of the privatization, I, I know it's, it's heartbreaking and I really want to be able to give people some like concrete action steps that they can take because like we have to get involved with this, you know, we have to, it's not just enough to know it and it's not just enough to share yeah. about it. And it's not just enough to, you know, post something on our, our Facebook feed because this, it gives us this like false sense of engagement. Um, but what it really takes is us actually showing up for water. So um, I want to give people some ideas of like different ways that they can take action on everything they're learning in this podcast. Um, Cause it's really, this is the deciding factor for all of future generations, like our generation now, like this is the most important question of our lifetime because there yeah. are already wars being fought over water. Yeah. Like the, one of the presidents of the world bank, he said in the 20th century, the wars were fought over oil in the 21st century, they will be fought over water. And that's already happening all over the world. So if we want a world without war, if we want future generations to have the right to live, like this is the question that we need to be super involved in. So um, I really recommend starting off by reading Maud Barlow's work. Um, she wrote a number of amazing books about this, um, like Blue Future and Blue Gold. In fact, Blue mm-hmm. Gold was actually made into a documentary. So yeah. if you, again, I don't think raising awareness is enough, but it is a good place to start if you want to like have movie night at your house, invite your friends and family over. Um, then you can watch Blue Gold or Last Call at the Oasis or um, The Big Thirst, I think. I think that's a documentary. It's definitely a book. <laughs> anyway, there's a bunch of books on this, but um, start, start with Maud Barlow's work and get involved with your local watershed association. Really get to know your own watershed because we can't protect what we don't know. And you might not even realize that even your own local municipal water is privatized by a subsidiary of one of these water cartel companies. And because most of them mm. are based in the US and in Europe, like we have enormous power in, in the global North to be able to determine the future of these companies. Um, and you can do that even just by getting involved in your local city hall and city council and saying, you know, we need to take back our, our water contracts and make them into public contracts. Again, I have a video um, on my YouTube channel that goes over three really great ways um, that like really specific ways of like shifting, you know, working with your local, um, your local city hall to like do public public partnerships with water in third world countries and stuff like that. So there's some, some ideas there. Um, 
And then there are some amazing nonprofits like the Waterkeepers Alliance and the Blue Planet Project and um, the Earth Law Center. I think those are three of my absolute favorite right now in terms of water activism, um, really on an international level, especially the Blue Planet Project. Like they, they really get in there at the World Bank and at the IMF, and um, they're really trying to lobby for water's rights. And, and um, right now I'm involved with a project that's called, um, it, we're basically calling for a world water law, which would set water yeah, as a unified global that. priority. Yeah. So, we, you know, this year, 2021 is world water year and we're really vying for a world water law. So you can find that at codes.earth slash water law and help us to, um, to spread the word about that. But even more important than all of that, like I think the most important thing that we can do is really to restore the rights and the land and the power and the respect to indigenous people because mm. they are the rightful stewards of the earth. They're the rightful stewards of water and healing from capitalism really means decolonizing our minds, decolonizing our relationships, giving back what was stolen. Nothing stolen can flourish, right? So our yeah. land and our waters will never fully flourish until they're restored, right? Until there's, there's justice and there's reconciliation and there's restoration. So getting involved with land back projects and um, projects like Survival International or whatever your local indigenous activist groups are, I think mm -hmm. that's really the most important thing we can do. So beautiful. And that's something that we can all do, like you said, in a local sense. And that is so important mm -hmm. to start there because it's, you know, doing those local initiatives that you know, over time, if everyone is doing that, it really transforms and compounds over the world. So that's so beautiful. Totally. Yeah, we have to start on a local yeah. level. It's so amazing. And then it also um, allows us to have that sacred intimacy with the water and people within our community and everything locally. So I think that's so beautiful. Even how we were <laughs> discussing in the beginning, um, going to your local springs and and being, um, you know, just a reverence and showing reverence and and beautiful connection to obtaining the spring water. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. It really is a relationship. You know, that's what it yeah. all comes down to. Like every one of us, whether we realize it or not, we're in relationship with water and every thriving relationship takes time and care and attention and conscientiousness. You know, you can't put yeah. your most sacred relationships with your husband or your sister or your best friends on the back burner and forget about them and treat them like inanimate objects. You know, this is why even though like, <clears throat> excuse me, like you've taken my course, right? My, my first one, the one about drinking yes. water. So, yes. you know, like there are some really great structuring and remineralizing and energizing whole home water filters that I do recommend to people. You know, it's, it's good to have that in your house to get off tap water or whatever. Like, um, but I also think that just the simple convenience of getting water from a tap Mm -hmm. is conducive to that objectification and to yep. ignoring the sanctity of that relationship. So that's why in that course, I really teach people how they can, <coughs> excuse me, <laughs> how they can really <laughs> like personally cultivate the practices and the habits around um, the process of tending to their drinking water, like how to remineralize and structure and energize your water, even like 
personally and manually without one of those devices because you know when we take the time to really establish that communion without the immediate convenience you know without it necessarily being easy but with it being this reciprocity and this dynamic relationship you know it takes time and attention to vortex your water to structure your water when you add hydrogen to your water and you watch the bubbles fizz up or when you leave water in the care of the full moonlight overnight or whatever Mm -hmm. it is like these these are sort of like offerings of our time and attention and um i think the most important thing that we can do just like you mentioned when it comes to tending that relationship really is to take that pilgrimage the birthplace of our water to recognize that our water doesn't come from a tap it doesn't come from a bottle it doesn't come from the municipal tap water supply and it doesn't even naturally come up from a well, if we've artificially drilled down into an aquifer and we're pumping that water up, that's not the birthplace of water. That's like right. the C-section of water, right? It's so, not the natural progression when, of what water wants yes. to do, right? It's like always looking exactly. to nature to see how does how is nature already structured and created? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Because water becomes our blood within five minutes of drinking it. So we, when it's gifted by the earth, when it's born from the earth in a, yeah. in a natural way, it has very different properties, very different properties. Um, so I really recommend that everyone go to findaspring.com, find their local spring. You can also try Gaia GPS or check your local geological surveys or just even just talk to the elders um, in your area where to find out where the springs are because mm-hmm. you know we're only one or two generations removed from this being a really common practice, right? I mean, imagine yeah. that. Like for literally hundreds of thousands of years, we've been drinking spring water since even before we were Homo sapiens. This has been the preferred water source, and then within the space of just a couple of generations, most people are freaked out by the idea of drinking water from the ground. Like we've all become so domesticated and dependent on our zookeepers that like mm-hmm. we don't even drink water from our own habitat. And I talk to people about drinking spring water and they're like, oh, is that safe? I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry if that sounds judgmental, but like it's just, I don't know. It's just how we see it. We have to take sovereignty over our own body waters. Yep. And again, the state of your water equates to the state of your consciousness. So even if it takes an hour or even two hours to get to your nearest spring, it is so worth doing once or twice a month. It's worth taking that pilgrimage because it is, it's a pilgrimage to, to sanctity. You're going to the source of life and we can't keep relegating water to an afterthought. It is the priority if we want to thrive. So beautiful. And I love that. You answered my last question, which is if you have any water rituals, because that is a beautiful, profound water ritual. So I just love that you you already did <laughs> you shared it with me. And um, people can find more information on your website and you have some beautiful courses and you have a new course coming out, correct? Yes, I'm really excited about this one. It's coming out on full moon. It's coming out on the on the 28th. And um, it's called Internal Oceans. It's a guardian's manual for human bodies of water. It's all about mapping the landscape of our inner hydrology and really exploring this mirroring that we touched on um, today about how earthly hydrology mirrors bodily hydrology and um, yeah, originally I created it with the idea that it, it would be for health coaches and nutritionists and naturopaths and medical professionals, but it's really for everyone who has a yeah. body of water. If you're interested in health, if you want to be as crystalline as possible, um, goes yeah. deeply into the biophysics. Um, yeah. And then for the, the course that you took, the navigating the waters one, um, 
just so everyone knows, it's a little mini course about drinking water. And I would love to offer your listeners 20% off of that course if they want to use the coupon code Topanga Moon at checkout. Oh, beautiful. 20% off. Yeah. And I hope they enjoy that and get super hydrated. It also includes um, a 50-page PDF resource guide that with uh, lots of recommendations for different water tools as well. That's so incredible and so generous and it's already at such a beautiful price. So that's amazing. And I know that um, it's just such an important thing for all of us to know. So all the work that you're sharing and even all of your YouTube videos that you have out, there's so much information and you give so much beautiful guidance. So thank you for all of that. It's just so important. The work that you're doing is just incredible. I also love that you're putting your course out on the full moon because <laughs> we always associate, you know, the full moon and the changing of the tides. So that's such a beautiful yeah. connection. Well, I was hoping to do it on the new moon, but you know, everything ends up taking a little bit longer than you think it will with different projects. Oh yeah, definitely. And it always comes out in the yeah. divine time as well. So absolutely. absolutely. Um, I love to end the podcast episodes with this fun, quick answer game that I call cosmic pings. So it's just kind of the first thing that comes to mind when I ask you some of these questions. Okay. Okay. So what is the most sacred place that you have traveled to? Really, really tough one because there are so many. Um, but the first ones that come to mind are either Tolantongo in Mexico, which is just incredible um, hot springs, or some of the water temples here in Bali. Oh, yes. Bali is definitely some place that I want to go to and also Mexico. So <laughs> come, visit, to... come visit. Yes. Once we can start traveling again, because um, I love yes. traveling. And I also did this incredible trip through the American Southwest and we went to various different hot springs along the way. And it was so incredible to be in mm -hmm. those environments. Um, your Beautiful. favorite crystal yeah, is truly sacred springs there. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, my favorite crystal yeah. is probably Vogel crystals. Oh, I have never heard of those. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Check out Vogel. They're super rare okay. to get an actual authentic one. Okay. Um, because they were developed by Dr. Marcel Vogel, who he actually developed, um, he was like the, the most amazing liquid crystallographer researcher ever. He developed wow. the LCD screen, the liquid crystal display screen. And he developed that based on his understandings of liquid crystal water and how it transduces wow. frequency. So like your LCD screen transduces electrical frequencies into visual stimuli, right? Just like water yeah. transduces electrical frequencies into, you know, all of the signals of life. And so he developed the Vogel crystal and my husband actually had a genuine Vogel, like from um, Dr. Marcel Vogel, and they vibrate at the same frequency as pure water. And there's lots of knockoffs. They're okay. They're not made in the same way though. Um, yeah. And it's the most powerful way ever developed of really focusing and channeling your intentions into water and amplifying the effects of water. Wow. Okay. Now I want one. <laughs> that sounds incredible. <laughs> Yeah, they're That's super profound. Amazing. Um, okay, so a book that really impacted you in your spiritual journey. Mm, oh my gosh. 
this might be the hardest question of the whole podcast. <laughs> I'm such a, I'm such a book nerd. Uh, um, okay. The first one that comes to mind. Okay. The first two that come to mind are the spell of the sensuous by David Abram. Ooh. I've read it three times. I'm sure I will read it over and over again. It's one of my favorite books in all time. Um, really anything by David Abram. Also anything by Daniel Odier, um, especially his book called Desire, I think, um, or his translation of, of the Vignana Bhairava Tantra. I think if I were stranded on a, a deserted island, those would probably be three of the thousand books. Wow. Okay. I haven't heard of those, so I need to go now look those up. Because they sound incredible. Yeah, check them out. Oh, although if people are looking for like water-related book recommendations, yeah. again, so many. But um, Dr. Carly Newday has a brilliant one um, called Water Codes. I also recommend Universal Water if you're looking into more of the spiritual side of things or mm. if you are really just interested in drinking water, um, Dancing with Water by MJ Pengman. Amazing. Amazing. Beautiful. <laughs> Sunset or Sunrise? sunrise mm, yes and I would say sunset <laughs> uh, incredible I think I'd say sunrise because it's my it's my intention for 21 to start waking yes. up earlier so I'm like I'm hoping for that sunrise every day yes. <laughs> even if I don't always make it although I traveled to, to um, Joshua Tree quite frequently and I always wake up to the sunrise there and I don't even have to try it's so incredible. Mm. So, the, so beautiful there. Yeah. It's so beautiful yeah. there. Mm-hmm. There's some really magical energy over there. But we can talk about that another day. <laughs> and where you are now, I'm sure that I'm sure that the sunsets are incredible up there where you are coming at five o'clock in the afternoon. Yes, yes. They are pretty beautiful out here amongst all the snow. So and I'm I'm mm-hmm. by all of these lakes this area is known for lakes. So oh, it's beautiful. pretty magical to be connected and so close to water here. Um, the mm-hmm. cosmos Lots of sacred are, spaces to visit. Yeah. The cosmos are aqueous. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. I think most people don't realize just how much water is in the universe. Like 70% of all of the condensed matter in our outer solar system is some form of water, some form of ice. So we're basically swimming through an aqueous universe and we think of it as empty space, but it's, it's really not, it's very much liquid and fluid. Wow. So beautiful. Mm -hmm. And finally, water is. Life. (laughs) (laughs) Water is life. Um, oh, and so beautiful. and my best friend and the ultimate mystery and yeah <laughs> yeah I'm just so grateful for everything that you do in your work and coming on to this podcast and having this conversation with me because it is such an important topic for all of us to dive into and understand and start to um, come back to that remembrance of water being the lifeblood of our planet so thank you so much. I'm going to link all of your, your website and all the resources that you mentioned today in the show notes. Um, but just thank you so much for all of your knowledge and wisdom and taking the time to share this beautiful conversation with me. Oh, it's been such a pleasure. I've really enjoyed our chat and thank you so, so much for inviting me on. It's, it's, yeah, it's been an honor. I'm so glad you reached out. 
Yeah. I look forward to more connecting with you more in the future. Yes. And definitely, definitely look forward to catching yeah. more of your podcast episodes. I was scrolling through them and you've got some super juicy content. Amazing. Yeah. I have a bunch of alien, <laughs> alien topics and <laughs> all kinds of things on there. Um, but it's been a really beautiful journey and some incredible guests. And I'm just, um, you've been one of my just favorite and most cherished guests. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you. Big hugs.